in the Navy, they're taught the best way to fight a storm or a hurricane was just to move out to sea and anchor deep. Hi, this is Greg. I'm one of the pastors here at West Valley Christian Church. There are times in our lives when we're caught in storms. Maybe someone listening is going through that right now. The best way to fight a storm is to anchor deep. Join us as we explore this year's theme and see how we have hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure in Christ. We hope you enjoy. Amen. All because of Jesus. I could see that over and over again. And that's a testimony for probably the majority of us in here this morning. I, um, I just want to say good morning. And to you and to those of you online, I, uh, I was just, I'm still just blown away and just feeling the, the joy in my heart of uh, John getting baptized. And it just speaks to some of what the pandemic and COVID was not all bad because we became an online church overnight. And our elders have asked that we continue to be that. And we're so grateful for those that are up in that room that do the, the cameras and, and the audio. But, you know, John is a testimony of someone that said, you know what, I've got something missing and looked us up online. Out of all the churches found us, watched the very first service of our year, this year, and then had the courage to walk into the office on a Monday and say, I need to know this Jesus. And church, that's what life is all about. You know, you can put aside everything that's consuming you and just this whole idea of, of knowing Jesus is truly what it's all about. And so today, as we continue our series, I want to um, start with a, a picture. And on the screen, you're going to see a picture that was sent to me last Sunday by my son, Drew, 29 years old, married. This is his front room. And uh, he decided to take everything off the wall. And uh, you can't see the details of it, but, you know, the, the paint's scratched. There's holes in the wall. There's even a few dents there. He pulled off the TV. And then uh, 24 hours later, literally 24 hours later, he sent me this picture of that same room. And despite being a proud father that my son was able to pull something off like that, um, I was like really impressed. Like, I'm like, son, when are you coming over my house to do that? So there was that. But you know, it was on a Monday and, and actually our operations director, Cynthia Wagner was in my office when that picture uh, popped up and I, I showed her this picture and uh, she exited my office and I thought, you know what? What an amazing transformation of something that was kind of old and beat up and then for that to be the next step. And then it went into uh, starting to study for the sermon this week. And all of a sudden, that couldn't get out of my mind. Because as cool as that is, the transformation that brings into our life, what Jesus brings into our life, is that but more. Amen? Like you come in here scratched up, beat up, maybe a few holes. And if we put our hands and our lives and our heart into the hands of the greatest carpenter ever, there is a transformation that happens. Amen? And you may not be believing that in your life. You may have put yourself in a place of saying, well, everyone else could change, but not me. But I want to tell you, even you, even you. Amen? Father, help us. Help us to have that transformation in our life. 
In a physical way, it's easy to identify with something that just goes from not looking so appealing to looking amazing. And yet, that, that truly can happen in our lives. Help us to believe that. Help us to want that. Help us to seek it. And just as we saw in that video, we just know that it can't happen outside of you. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. Thank you that your scripture in Corinthians says, therefore, if any one of us is in Christ, we are a new creation. The old is gone and the new is here. We claim that. We claim that here today. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. So our God's in the business of transformation, amen? And I preach for transformation, not information, because we could all be informed of all the truths of this book and not be changed, and the devil wins. And so today, we're going to jump into uh, John chapter 4. If you haven't been with us on this journey, our theme this year for our church is anchored, and we're talking about being anchored to Christ, and then this series, Anchored in Red, we're taking a look at the Gospel of John, and in some of the translations or some of the versions of the Bibles that have been published, Jesus' words are in red, and so we're saying, let's be anchored to Jesus' words. We've started with John chapter 1, then we went John chapter 2, John chapter 3 last week, and now we're in John chapter 4. So if you could open up your Bibles, we're going to just jump right into it. John chapter 4, verse 1. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but who? But his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. And I want to stop right there. If you're taking notes, which I believe you ought to take notes. I'm a note taker. Not because I like to, because I need to. And I learned early on in my life, if I physically write something, it's going to stick with me. Because the truth is, most of the notes I write, I never look at again. But I was always taught if I write it, then it sticks in me more. So anyways, if you're taking notes... Number one, background. And I think that's always important for us to look at the background in the text in which we're looking. The background's simple. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees, so right there, we see the Pharisees again. And by the way, let me give you a little hint. They're gonna pop up all the time. And we learned last week some important things about Pharisees. They're a very influential religious sect within Judaism. Uh, They were middle-class, well-educated, conservative individuals. Uh, They kept a close eye on politics and religion. And so when Jesus shows up and they start hearing his teaching and they start seeing the the miracles that he's committing, all of a sudden a red flag goes up amongst the Pharisees. All of a sudden they're concerned about this guy that could do something about the political climate or the religious climate. And so they have him on notice. He was getting popular, and they didn't like this. So Jesus, being Jesus and knowing all, didn't want an outward conflict amongst this group at this time just yet. So the reason why what we just read is he left Judea and went back to Galilee is for this reason. He knows that this is not the time to have this political Uh, unrest. 
this religious unrest. And so the story continues. If you go to John chapter four, verse four. Now he had gone through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus tried as he was, or Jesus tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about what time? It was about noon. Now here's, here's what I want to do. Okay, we're going to get down and get dirty here now, all right? And, and I hope that you're going to love me, despite me, all right? The second point, are you ready? This was brand new to me. I've preached this passage a ton of times. I've heard this passage preached that we're going to be looking at today. Never, ever, ever had I seen this. Well, I'm going to tell you right now. The second point of today is, write this down. He had to. He had to. Did those words stick out to you when I read this? Like, those words have never stuck out to me. But for whatever reason, while I was studying this week, those words were like red, just flashing. He had to, he had to, he had to. Now he had to, in verse four, go through Samaria. I'm like, what? This is the son of God. (laughs) He doesn't have to do anything. He had to. Well, he had to do what? Well, the Bible says clearly he had to go through where? Samaria. So what's the big deal? What's the big deal? Well, the big deal is this. The Jews did anything and everything they could not to go through this part of the country. And for you and I, it's like, ah, well, again, I don't get it. What's the problem? Let me help you understand in a very clear way. You're a Dodger fan. And you have to go through San Francisco (laughs) and sit in the stadium Are you with me? Do you understand? I know a lot of you don't, but humor me. It'd be like, ah, I have to take a shower now. Now, that's kind of silly, but the truth is the Jews did not like the Samaritans. And I'm not going to get into that. You could research it. You could find it really quick on why, but there's a long history there. The, the Samaritans were, were known as half-breeds, and, and part of that, it was just, you know, just a bunch of different races coming together with a bunch of different politics, with a bunch of different things they worship, a bunch of different traditions, a bunch of different customs that weren't uh, in line with what the Jews believed, and so they just wrote off this, this part of, of God's creation. The route, I want you to see a map here. Um, I'm going to say it again. Yes, we need new projectors. But um, do your best to dial in here. Judea is where? At the very bottom. You see that? Okay. And then, and then Galilee is where he's going to, right? So it's straight north, right? He went from, from Judea to, to Galilee, straight north. Okay. And then what's right in between? Nice and pink. Samaria, right? So you're going to, of course, you're going to go straight to Galilee. You're going to go through Samaria. But no, if you're Jewish, you're not doing the straight route. You're going to go, and you can't see it, just off to the right is Jericho, right? And so what the Jews would do, instead of taking the the high road, (laughs) instead of taking the high road, they would, they would go through Judea, they cross the Jordan, then they go up, and then they go back across the Jordan. And this would add, add days to their travel. 
approximately 64 miles it is from a walk from Judea to Samaria. And that would be about two to three days, okay? But they would literally go and add more days so that they didn't have to be anywhere near those people. Are you with me? So here's the question I have. Or this is a question that was posed in my heart and mind as I was studying. So did Jesus choose the path through Samaria out of convenience or compulsion and conviction? You see that? Did he choose to go through Samaria out of convenience because it's a lot quicker and a lot easier? Or did he choose to go through this place that the Jews don't go through out of conviction and compulsion? And here's the answer. Jesus always is more interested in meeting the needs of others than getting his own needs met. Did you catch that? Jesus, throughout his whole history and ministry, was concerned more about meeting the needs of others than his own needs being met. Let me give you an extreme example of why I could land there. It's called the cross. Did he get there because of convenience or conviction? Did he do it for himself or did he do it for us? I love scripture because it says in Luke 19, 10, for the son of man came to seek and save that which was lost. That was Jesus' mission, was not to fulfill everything that he desired, but was to seek and save that which was lost. His heart and his mission, his compassion, his kindness, his love was all about you and I. So he didn't choose this path out of convenience. I believe he did it out of compulsion and conviction. And I'm gonna keep pounding that word. It's not a word we use often. It's not a word I used often. But when I became a Christian at this church, West Valley Christian Church, there was a season in our, in our church with discipling and some other things that were happening that that word conviction was used a lot. And the guy that was uh, pouring into me, uh, Pastor Darren Skates, who I have a lot of respect for, and I am who I am today in ministry because of him, he used that word a lot with us 18, 19, and 20-year-olds. And we were always being challenged with, what is your conviction? What is your conviction? What do you believe? Because that's what conviction is. It's a firmly held belief. And here is where I want to just kind of get off a little bit because I honestly believe we need to bring that word conviction back into the church because we need to have, as Christ followers, I believe we ought to have convictions, not convictions based on what the wind is doing, not convictions on the political climate, not convictions on what Time Magazine says we ought to have convictions on, not what our universities say, not what our traditions say, not what our religion says, but convictions on what God's word has to say. Can I hear an amen on that one? Like we need to get back to having convictions that come from within God's word and not from out of tolerance and out of what sounds good and out of what the social media says. And church, I'm gonna challenge you on this hard and I'm gonna challenge myself. We've got to be back in God's word to see the convictions that you and I ought to have. And some of us strong Christians have even fallen to some of the wind that's blowing out there. Jesus had a conviction that lost people matter. And so he's going to do things that may have even been hard. And that's where it comes to the statement he had to. 
I'm going to get real with you on this. Um, and please hear this. Like legitimately, everything I have to say is praise be to God that's good. And man, Pastor Rob still has a lot of room to grow. He had to. I am a, shouldn't surprise you, white boy. Okay? Grew up uh, Camrio, Villa Park, middle class. And I only did things that I knew I could only do. Well, does that make sense? Like, you know, I, I talked about Drew at the beginning of the service. My, my little guy, Easton, was sitting over here in first service. And I, I, I called him out, and I'll call him out right now. I am blown away by my 15-year-old son, Easton. He does things that I would never have done because I was so insecure and so shy and so timid. And I got to watch him last night again play some ball in high school. And I'm just blown away, this kid and what he's doing. I would never have done it. So you put that in the context of becoming a Christian. And all of a sudden, I was faced with having to do things that I had never done before. One of the first, the best things that ever happened in my life was missions. I don't know how and what, but I ended up going on a missions trip with the Moore Ministries to Mexico. And that changed my life. Like literally seeing poverty like I'd never seen before working in ways that I'd never worked before. Seeing little kids fight over an apple that I had in my hand. And so those of you that grew up in our college ministry, we went two or three times a year. I mean, that was just a normal thing we did. And because I wanted, it just kept challenging me and I had to do it. Not because it was easy, because it was right. And that turned into going to the Ukraine, and that turned into going to Chile, and that turned into going to Samoa, and that turned into all these other places. Now, I'm going to just shoot straight. The first time I went to Samoa, uh, I love Samoa. You know, that's not suffering for me. I love going out to Samoa. I love the people in Samoa. Chile, same thing. First times it was hard. But there's places I go, Kenya has still ruined me. The slums of Kenya, the smells, the sights, the sounds that I still remember. And I praise God that we're invested there. I told you guys last week, a month from today, at 10 o'clock at night, I'm getting on a plane with one other guy, another pastor, and we're going to Cambodia. I've never been to that part of the world. We're going to teach 300 pastors in a four or five day conference. This is what I'm embarrassed to tell you. There's nothing in me that wants to go. Nothing. Some of you are like, oh, how cool. You get to see another part of the world. No. Some of you like that. Oh, cool. You get to, you get to. And I'm embarrassed to tell you, there is nothing in me that wants to get on that plane. I hate, hate every time I go on a missions trip and leave my family. I hate it. Someone was just asking me, oh, do you know where you're staying? Do you know where you're staying? No. And that, that freaks out some people. Like they, but my personality is I can't know. Because then I'll start thinking about what it's going to be like to be in that kind of a restroom. Or what it's going to be like to eat that kind of food. Or was it, but please hear me. 
I go because I'm convicted that I could at least have something to say to 300 pastors to come alongside them and encourage them in their ministry. Does that make sense? I'm embarrassed to tell you that. But I know so many of you are doing things out of conviction because God has called you to do that. Not because it's convenient and easy, because it's right. He had to. Because he had a conviction that lost people matter to God. I still have a lot of room to grow in this area. How about you? So now on to the famous story. Especially if you grew up in the church, you've heard this, but I challenge you to look at this story with fresh eyes. Verse seven, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? There's his first words. Will you give me a drink? There's so much to this right here, church. So much to this. This is not normal. And if you've heard me preach, you know there's three strikes against this woman. Not because Pastor Rob says it, because culture says it. One strike, she's a woman in this culture. Two strikes, she's Samaritan. Not good in this culture. And as we'll find out later in this story, her third strike is she's divorced. She doesn't have, quote unquote, a lot going for her. Society has pushed her aside. Look at this. Sat down by the well. Well, it was about noon. Let me tell you something. You don't go get water in the heat of the day in that culture. And you don't get water by yourself. It was, it was normal to get a, a group of women early in the morning to get together so they could talk a little bit, right? And together they would go to the well and they, together they would collect and together they would laugh and together they might even complain about their husbands. But there's something that we need to see here that this woman is doing this in the middle of the day by herself. So now that she's a woman, now that she's Samaritan, now that she is divorced, but she's an outcast even amongst her own people. And my heart bleeds for her in this. Will you give me a drink? The Samaritan woman in verse nine said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And there's so much that the commentator said on this, but it's kind of like almost a little sarcasm, like really? You're gonna talk to me? Because this is not normal. Like, are, are you kidding me? You're asking me for a drink? Verse 10, Jesus answered it. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now at this point, you have to think that she's kind of like, have I been out in the sun too long? Like, what is going on here? Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our forefather, uh, Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be what? 
Everyone who drinks this water will be what, church? They're going to be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to what? Eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, sir, give me, give me this water so that I won't go thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Then Jesus said, "Um, go call your husband and come back. That seems random, doesn't it? Um, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five. And the man now, (laughs) the man that you have now is not your husband. What have you just said? What you just said is quite true. Like that's a zinger, isn't it, church? That's a zinger. Now here's what's really important to me. Jesus is not condemning her. Do you see that? Jesus is not going, oh my gosh, you just lied to me. Don't, I just said, don't you know who I am? And you just lied to me. You're an evil woman. No wonder you're here by yourself. You should be ashamed of yourself. And I share these things out of a human standpoint where we may be doing those things. It's like the woman caught in adultery. Ah, stoner, stoner, stoner. We like to throw shame on people and we got to stop doing that. Jesus didn't. He came alongside of her, had this conversation, knowing all this stuff before he ever asked for a drink from her. And he loved her where she was at. Can I hear an amen for that? He loved her where she was at. And I would wonder if we're doing the same, church. (laughs) The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty anymore. And then all of a sudden he calls her out and just saying, you know, I know this about you. But that doesn't make you bad. Verse 19. So the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. (laughs) Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. I find this funny. Because she's doing a squirrel. Right? He's just said, hey. You know, I know you got five. The one you're hanging out with right now is not your husband. Let's keep talking. And she's like, a I have a question about this thing called worship. Can we get off topic? You know, we're supposed to worship here by Jacob's well, and you guys worship over there at the temple of Jerusalem. You know, which one? You know what's cool about Jesus? He just loves her where she's at, and he doesn't call her out. He just says, woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father. Neither on this mountain, neither in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father, what? The Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. Now ready, hold on. The woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, 
I, the one speaking to you, I am he. That is pretty cool. I am he. Even though you have three strikes against you, I love you. I'm he. I can imagine she did not have a high value of herself. And this breaks my heart for her. It breaks my heart for myself when I see myself less than. And it breaks my heart for you when you see yourself less than because of the labels others have put on you or the labels that you have placed on yourself. Sometimes I feel like that um, rack at the back of Ralph's. Do you know what rack I'm talking about? Look at you. There's a lot of you. You're like, I live off of that rack. It's the has-beens, right? It's the stuff that's just ready to be thrown away and they're going to try and get whatever they can out of it. And the honest truth is, people have placed me on that rack and I've placed myself on that rack. And the truth is, God sees value in us. We're not leftovers, we're not has-beens, we're not less than because of the things that we've done. This is why Jesus didn't go the route everyone else did. He went straight to it, the person that was hurting. Jesus engaged with the woman to show her by his actions that she mattered. Isn't that awesome, church? And that's why he had to go through Samaria. I hope that you are getting to experience the same Jesus this woman got to experience. I hope that you've hung out and had a conversation and allowed him to speak into your life the words that we learned last week. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So how I wanna conclude today's message is with this. What are some lessons we can learn from this story. And what would you add, by the way? These are what I see, but what would you add? The first lesson is that Jesus or he initiates relationship, right? He went out of his way to have this conversation with a woman that was hurting. And he's gone out of his way for us by dying on a cross, by leaving this world so that he could be anywhere and everywhere and have that conversation with us. Revelation 3.20, he says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. I love John, who's here today and gave his testimony and getting baptized. He's a perfect example of all of us needing just to humble ourselves and say, I want to know you. I want that water that will cause me to not thirst any longer. Not only does he initiate relationships, think about this. And it's not just true of John chapter four, it's true of all the first four chapters of John. Think spiritual, not physical. 
Think spiritual, not physical. Think about that. John chapter one, John chapter two, John chapter three, John chapter four, all the encounters with people, all of them struggled with the physical filter in which they were listening to Jesus. Remember Nicodemus? Oh, you must be born again. He's like, how can I enter my mother's womb a second time? He's thinking physical. You remember in John chapter two, water being turned into wine and thinking, oh boy, Jesus, this is some good stuff. We need to get you a Facebook page. We need to get you hooked up on Etsy and we're gonna cash in on this wine, you know? And if we think everything through the physical lens, we're gonna miss the spiritual lens, which is more powerful than the physical. Spiritual is always more power than the physical. And this is what's happening here. She's thinking physical water and he's talking living water. Amen? So the challenge for some of us is we need to start thinking a little more spiritual than physical. The third lesson is ask for it. Remember, she said, sir, give me this water so that I will not thirst any longer in John chapter 4, 15. It's there, we have to ask for it. The fourth lesson is he knows me and he still loves me. (laughs) He knows me and he still loves me. Isn't that awesome about our God? He knows the good, the bad, and the ugly, and that's called grace. The fifth lesson is worship is everywhere. I mean, we could have spent a whole time on worshiping in spirit and truth, but I want to tell you simply this, that Jesus is setting the stage. You don't have to do it right here by the well, Jacob. You don't have to do it over there in Jerusalem. You could do it anywhere, anytime. Just do it in spirit and truth. You could do it while driving. Keep your eyes open. You could do it while playing golf. You could do it while walking the beach. You could do it while being at work. You could do it while cooking. You could worship anytime, anywhere. Amen. And the last but not least is how Jesus ended this conversation. I am he. And not only was that true for her, but it's true for you today. So my challenge would be engage in the relationship. Ask the questions. Think spiritual, not physical. Accept his forgiveness, worship him honestly, and embrace the life change that he has for you. Father in heaven, thank you. Some of us feel like that wall all scratched up and beat up and dented and holes in it. And we look at it and just kind of disheartened. But Lord, thank you that you could turn us into something that we couldn't even imagine. That you could transform our lives into the very thing that you desire for each and every one of us. May we believe that, live that, hold on to it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at wvcch.org or you can join us live in one of our Sunday services. Have a great day.